For viewers of the CBS soap opera, as the world turns, first word came at about 1.40 p.m. Eastern time. It happened too quickly for cameras to be in place. And I gave it a great deal of thought, Grandpa. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Then it was back to the soap opera, but not for long. Soon after, Walter Cronkite was back, reporting from the CBS newsroom, complete with rotary telephones and wire machines. This picture has just been... And I might add, the picture that Walter Cronkite was looking at, they did not have the technology then to get that picture from Dallas to Walter Cronkite at the same minute, okay? So there's always a few flaws in these little psyopses, okay? been transmitted by wire. It is a picture taken just a moment or two before the incident. If you can zoom in with that camera, we can get a closer look at this picture. And almost exactly one hour after his initial bulletin, this now famous announcement. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Pull up a chair, and thanks for joining me. Um, today, what am I talking about today? Well, just for fun, I had pulled up some clips about these announcements. <laughs> Walter Cronkite, the funny thing is, is that no one trusts the media now, but back then, everybody trusted Walter Cronkite. He was by far their best agent. I had covered, I put Walter Cronkite in my show that's called um, True Crime is Fake because um, <laughs> after Walter Cronkite's first wife passed away, he actually dated Carly Simon's sister <laughs> from a complete transgender elite family. So Walter wasn't exactly who people thought that he was. So anyway, so this has been one big trick. So this week I was looking at something. I was looking at, you know, Trinity. Trent Trinity is the name. T-R-I-N-I-T-Y is the name of um, the Manhattan Project, right? Trinity. There's also something called Trident. T-R-I-N-I-T-Y. D-E-N-T, and I was a little bit confused earlier because I kept, I was doing this on the chat, <laughs> GPT thing, so I kept wondering because Trinity with the Manhattan Project came first before Trinity, but both of them, after I kind of spun around for a while, I realized I was talking two different words, Trinity and Trident, okay, this is how these things get kind of tricky, right, so but then, remember, this is all coded to these freaks, and these words all really mean something. 
And I found out something very interesting that the U.S. is in charge of the U.K.'s nuclear weapons program. I couldn't make this up if I spent the next hundred years learning the craft of fiction. Okay, so what do you have here? Let's first talk about, because I was like going in circles over Trident and Trinity, okay? Remember there was a gun called Trident too, wouldn't recommend it, but anyways. <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's, let's unpack the fun stuff, all the word stuff, okay? Trident and Trinity. Huh, I thought I had tried it first, but I guess I had Trinity on this page first. So let's start with what I have. <laughs> One foot in front of the next foot. Okay. A trident, which is the name of the UK nuclear program, which came after the Trinity, which was Manhattan. Okay, this is important to keep these two straight. So because, remember, the structure is... The UK has City of London for the money, the US has Washington DC for the wars, and then the Vatican has the sciences and all those people, right? So it would make sense that um, they're talking in threes, right? Because tri means three. A trident, which is the name of the UK place, is a spear characterized by three prongs aligned in a straight line. Typically, these prongs are of equal lengths, although some variations exist based on the specific purpose of the weapon. And you'll also see this trident sign. It, it looks like a spear, and it could also be... Um, oh, I looked at a trident years ago, um, and it seemed like it was had something to do with harps or spears or something like that. But anyways, but the term trident originates from Latin, meaning three teeth, or from Greek meaning threefold. It is used for fishing and was also the attribute of a sea god such as Neptune in classical mythology. I'm trying to think where that logo was. I think the new NATO place in... Um, that's here in, in uh, excuse me, the new NATO in Virginia, I think they were using that Trident logo when they announced it. But anyway, so, sea gods have many attributes. For example, Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea, was also the god of earthquakes and horses. His weapon and main symbol was the Trident, perhaps, over, perhaps was a fish spear. Onias, the first god of the sea and ruler of the river Okeanos, O-K-E-A-N-O-S, was considered to be an abstract force of nature and the divine personification of the sea. So, Poseidon was one of the twelve Olympians in ancient Greek religion and mythology. He presided over sea, storms, earthquakes, and horses. He was the protector of seafarers and the guardian of many Hellenic cities and colonies. His weapon and main symbol was the trident, perhaps was a fish spear. Poseidon, <coughs> excuse me. Poseidon was the son of Cronus and Rhea, R-H-E-A, and a brother of Zeus and Hades. Remember, Hades is plutonium. When the three brothers 
deposed their father, the kingdom of the sea fell by lot to Poseidon. So, let me see here. So that is what trident means, okay? Um, three teeth, which is interesting, right? But three prongs. But they do have three prongs, right? Like the money, the war, the science thing. Um, and then they said, historically, the trident has been used as a pole arm, P-O-L-E-A-R-M. A pole arm is a weapon that consists of a long shaft with a pointed head used for thrusting or striking. Well, radiation certainly thrusts and strikes us, doesn't it now? The trident's three prongs would have made it an effective weapon for thrusting and keeping an opponent at a distance. In addition to its use as a polearm, the trident has also been metaphorically used to describe objects and geographical areas that reproduce the shape of the three-pronged pike. Okay, so that is trident, because trident is the name of the UK's nuclear weapons program. It covers the development, procurement, and operation of nuclear weapons and their means of delivery. The purpose of Trident, as stated by the Missionary, excuse me, Ministry of Defense, is to deter the most extreme threats to our national security and way of life, which cannot be done by other means. Trident is an operational system of four Vanguard-class submarines armed with Trident II D-5 ballistic missiles able to deliver thermonuclear warheads from multiple independently targetable re-entry vehicles. The UK's nuclear weapons program began during the Second World War with a project codenamed Tube Alloys, T-U-B-E. In 1952, the UK became the third country after the United States and the Soviet Union, which I will go on record as saying, I believe all three are also working together. Go look at my timeline over on my website. Everything connects together when you take a big look at it, right? The current UK nuclear weapons program known as Trident, which covers the development, procurement, and operation of nuclear weapons and their means of delivery. Okay, the, it, ex, I, I, they always, they're always talking about these extreme threats, right? <laughs> okay, so what's the deal with Trident? Well, Trident is actually managed by the United States. The people in the UK with their Trident program are under the control of the United States. Okay? And these are important to know these words. The US, UK, <laughs> this radiation really does funny things. <laughs> the US, UK Mutual Defense Agreement was signed on July the 3rd, 1958. One of the agreements between the UK 
and the U.S. is the U.K.-USA agreement, which is a multilateral agreement for cooperation in signals intelligence between Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Now, that little group of us, you know, Australia, New Zealand, United States, we're all what is considered the new world, right? And remember, they're all running around flapping about the new world order, but so it's between Australia, Canada, New Zealand, UK, and the US. So, um, the Alliance of Intelligence Operations is also known as the Five Eyes, which is good because five has to do with their little Saturn deal, right? So, um, I, I lost track of that Five Eyes deal, so I'm not going to focus on that right now. But first, let me play you this clip so I don't lose track here. Uh, because I've been saying that this plan all along was to test these things during these wars. And, you know, the interesting thing was, even after the wars, World War II after the bombs at Japan and stuff, well, then they did all the bombing of Marshall Islands and those people there, uh, along with Russia, everybody was bombing everybody. So let's get this clip going. It's just a minute or so, so let me play it. Okay. Okay, let me see here. I might play a little bit early, but what he is saying, he is saying that, well, let's put this nuclear behind us and start working on electricity, okay? You know how I love to get to when all this stuff gets started, and right from their own lips, they're going to say it right now. So let's take a listen here. From the point of view of the authorities negotiating uh, with the terrorists, uh, the fact that the bomb might go off uh, is uh, the important thing. This could be New York, London, Belfast. What they were talking about in this documentary was this bomb is so easy to make um, that this kid make a, made a prototype bomb, and so that's what they're pontificating about. Yes, and they convinced me and all of us that this was so complicated. I'm not trying to brag, but I mean, I think I do really understand this stuff now because they're ticking time bombs. So here we go. Tel Aviv, any big city. It seems unthinkable that just five weeks of a student's time could come up with this potential. Why is the information he needed so freely available? Unclassified reactive technology research has improved all the time and that it is necessary uh, to understand this, uh, to publish uh, a lot of things that is uh, also essential for designing the bomb. This greatest of destructive forces can be developed into a great boom. This is Eisenhower. Eisenhower was the one in charge at that time. I saw something recently. Somebody said that Eisenhower was maybe played by Clark Gable. I can kind of see Eisenhower and Clark Gable together, but not going to go there now. <laughs> all a big act. For the benefit of all mankind. United States 1953, President Eisenhower at the United Nations. It was time to end the Cold War, he said. Take the bomb away from the soldiers and start exploiting the peaceful atom. A special purpose would be to provide abundant electrical energy in the power-starved areas of the world. To hasten the day when fear of the atom will begin to disappear from the minds of people and the governments of the East and West, 
There are certain steps that can be taken now. What? Oh, wait a minute. Let me keep playing this. I'm sorry. I cut it off too soon. One of the first steps after Eisenhower's speech was the first Adams for Peace Conference in Geneva, 1955. The United States showed an experimental reactor in public for the first time. To aid nuclear power development, America and Russia started a massive declassification program. But nobody imagined the information might be used in unofficial bomb designs 20 years later. To actually build a bomb, you'd need plutonium. Yeah, I covered all this stuff, but what I, my, my point here, I'm sorry, I started the clip a little bit too early. My point is, is that right there at that turning point, they started this Adams for Peace deal, okay? And that deal was to um, <laughs> convert atoms to electricity. And that was the juncture that I have been looking for. I know they don't sound like big deals to you, but it's a big deal to me. Okay, so um, let me get back to this UK and USA deal, right? Okay. The UK... Uh, yeah, I don't give much weight to that Five Eyes deal, but I don't really... <clears throat> I didn't... I didn't spend a long time looking into it. Okay. Relations between the United States... Well, also on my website, if you look at my timeline, I publish maps. The UK, um, from their Tea Party thing that supposedly 1776 when this country took over... <laughs> Why did the U.S. design their map to look suspiciously like the U.K. map? These people are all about the symbols and stuff, so just go look for yourself. Okay, relations between the U.K. and the United States have ranged from military opponents to close allies since 1776. They have always been close allies, according to me <laughs> and my research. The 13 British colonies that seceded from the Kingdom of Great Britain in 1776 fought a successful revolutionary war and a stalemate war of 1812. Since then, the two countries have been close allies during many conflicts in the 20th and 21st centuries, including World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Cold War, the Gulf War, and the War on Terror. The level of cooperation between the UK and the US is in trade and commerce, military planning, execution of military operations, nuclear weapons technology, and intelligence sharing has been described as unparalleled among major world powers. Some examples of cooperation between the UK and the US include their close alliance during the many conflicts. Okay. Okay. Some of other agreements between the UK and US include the. I already talked about that agreement. Okay. What we're looking at. They say there's just another agreement that is currently being negotiated is the UK-United States Free Trade Agreement. So I don't know about that. Maybe it happened. I don't know. If it's for trading um, goods, not interested talking about. Okay, so that was tried it. Okay. So, um, and... The UK 
did not name their nuclear test after the U.S. Trinity test, because <laughs> that had me going in circles, okay? The U.K.'s first nuclear test was called Operation Hurricane and was conducted on October the 3rd, 1952. So, um, but the Trident, the UK's nuclear weapons program is heavily dependent on the United States for maintenance, design, and testing of its submarines. The UK even leases its Trident missiles from the USA and British submarines must regularly visit the US's Navy's bases at Kings Bay, Georgia for maintenance or rearming. This is why the UK needs approval from the US for nuclear matters. Pretty interesting, huh? Well, they sound pretty cozy together if you ask me. So let's get into this um, Trinity thing. Trinity is Manhattan Project. So that was 1952, but we back up here. The U.S. Trinity test was conducted on July the 16th, 1945, and was named Trinity by J. Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Los Alamos Laboratory during the Manhattan Project. And they didn't know, I was looking, they said the exact origin of the name Trinity for the test is unknown. So, um, so, but they said it may be a reference to the poetry of John Donne, D-O-N-N-E, which is, which in turn referenced the Christian belief of the Trinity, God as being, existing as three persons. Yeah, that whole thing, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost deal. So, um, Operation Hurricane, okay. That was conducted by UK. Operation Trinity was conducted by Manhattan Project. Now you're starting to see where I was confused there for a while. And J or Julia Robert Oppenheimer's reference from the Bhagavad Gita is, now I become death, the destroyer of worlds. So, um, Inspired by the 17th century poet John Donne, Oppenheimer came to call the test Trinity. Oppenheimer had been reading Donne's holy sonnets before the test and found inspiration in the line from Sonnet, which opens with the line, Batter my heart, three persons, God. The test took place at Almoragada, Al Morogado, A-L-A-M-O-G-O-R-D-O, New Mexico, rather than Los Alamos, Alamogardo. Huh. Hundreds of Manhattan Project workers moved to prepare. I don't know why I'm talking about this now. Okay, so, um, so that was, I had some words here. Okay, um, hmm. let me see here. 
I have, um, let me play, uh, okay, this is how, um, I, have, I found an article that I'll read to you, and it, the article is titled, How Washington Owns the UK's Nukes. London's nuclear dependency cuts to the heart of the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. And this is from 2015, and it says, um, In the run-up to the British general election, there has been some intense debate about the future of Trident, the U.K.'s nuclear weapons program, which will reach the end of its serviceability life in 2026. And we're right now in 2023. Party leaders in the next parliament must decide whether to scrap scrap it, replace it with a scaled-down alternative, or update it. But there is one simple question that nobody is asking. When is an independent nuclear deterrent not an independent nuclear deterrent? To many experts, the answer is all too obvious when the maintenance, design, and testing of UK submarines depend on Washington and when the nuclear missiles aboard them are on lease from Uncle Sam. No British politician is addressing this issue, and it shows informed voters are probably familiar, excuse me, informed voters are probably familiar with the various parties' declared stances on the Trident question, but few Britons have any idea that the United States is even involved in the program, let alone their country's nuclear benefactor. Instead, Trident is being presented as a purely domestic matter and one of the few in modern British politics that puts clear ideological water between left and right. So yeah, everything is always divided, but what people are, don't understand is that this is all being run by the United States. Okay, and then I have another article that clears us up a little bit better. But before I get to that, I'm going to take a very short, um, quick breath here. And um, I love these old clips, okay? Just like I love old movies, just humor me. And two, one, zero. remember this all these people and those you know the scientists you know they all also well I think they have this thing compartmentalized to a tremendous degree okay <laughs> but all those reporters and stuff and journalists that go on site to these wars you gotta be kidding me that they don't know this is fake okay this is all one big club and their whole goal is to trick and rob the rest of us every day with lots of sunshine oh would you look at washington huh i'm going outside today other than that it's kind of quiet around the country we like quiet 
but it's quiet. It's too quiet. Yeah. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. La espera de, de mayores informaciones, saber qué fue lo que ocurrió, cómo fue que este... Apparently a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. It, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just I didn't see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway. This is so shocking, of course, to everybody watching. Today we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. And the Pentagon is being evacuated. There is a large fire there, and that is the smoke you see in the shot that you're looking at now. It appears that an aircraft of some sort did hit the side of the Pentagon. It's a very haunting description that Bob Kerr just gave of that low-flying aircraft near the White House, and one can only wonder if that was something that ultimately Let's ended up in the Pentagon. We just saw a live picture of what seemed to be a portion of the building falling away. Wow. And some Jamie, people were... Jamie, I need you to stop for a second. There has just been a huge explosion. We can see uh, a billowing smoke rising and I can't, I'll, I'll tell you that I can't see that second tower, but it, there was a cascade of sparks and fire, and now this, it looks almost like a mushroom cloud explosion. Let's go to the trade tower again, because, John, we now have a, what do we have? We don't. <laughs> it looks like a, a new plume, a new large plume of smoke. Only one tower is standing. The other has collapsed. It Thanks has very much, the whole side has collapsed? The whole building has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed? The building has collapsed. We a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out, and everybody started running out, and we saw the plane on the other side of the building, and there was smoke everywhere, and people are jumping out the windows. Over there, they're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to see themselves. I don't know. And there's, you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. There are no words. There's a, there's a haze everywhere. It's very, very difficult to see. But there has been a, a whole area has been covered by soot and ash. But then it looks almost like snow. So as people are coming up the street, running from the scene of this new explosion, 所有飞往纽约和华盛顿的客机都移转飞加拿大的机场。I'm going to interrupt you, Senator McCain. These are the first pictures we have in. Uh, this is from Somerset County. 
Pennsylvania. This is where the United Airlines flight, I believe it is 176, went down. Hillary, I need to interrupt you. This is a Taliban spokesman uh, talking uh, now in Kabul, I believe. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. <laughs> and freedom will be defended. قبل دقائق من افتتاح وولت تريد الذي انهار تماما بعد ان التهمته النيران اول تعليق لمكتب التحقيقات الفيدرالي اشار الى ان طائره البوينغ اختطفت من مطار بوستن well there you have it <laughs> another big lie right <laughs> uh, i think one of those buildings that they supposedly um, blew up. If you want to go look, I, I have listened to, I don't know, maybe just to amuse myself one day I was listening to, um, and that this is a great thing about YouTube, right? Um, if you stay away from the social media freaks, but what happens is, is that, I don't know, if I want to, if I'm having a bad day because we're pretty sick around here, all I have to do is think about them riding around in those red jackets and those medals and those gold carts. <laughs> and those gold carriages for a few laughs. So, yeah, I've listened to them all, and they actually um, they can be kind of interesting. And just all of the staging that went along with it, all right, and all the lies and just the horror. But anyway, back to what I was starting to talk about first. There was another article about Trident, and it's called Trident, the U.S. Connection. The British government likes to tell us that Trident is an independent nuclear weapon system. The reality is, however, that it is entirely dependent on the U.S. both technically and politically. The U.S. and the U.K. signed the Mutual Defense Agreement, MDA, in 1958, a bilateral treaty on nuclear weapons cooperation under which both countries agreed to exchange classified information to develop their respective nuclear weapons systems. The relevant part of the MDA is reviewed and renewed every 10 years, most recently in 2014, where the process took place with no parliamentary debate or scrutiny. Scrutiny. <laughs> the treaty permits the transfer between the U.S. and U.K. of classified information concerning atomic weapons, nuclear technology, and controlled nuclear information, material and equipment for the development of defense plans, training of personnel, evaluation of potential enemy capability, development of delivery systems, and the research, development, and design of military reactors. Thanks to all of your hard work and your tax dollars, you realize we are paying for our own eugenics now, don't you? As a result of this treaty, the UK's nuclear weapon system is highly reliant on the US. The system comprises of three components, the submarines, the missiles, and the warheads. The Trident missile give their name to the system as a whole. These missiles are leased from the United States and the submarines have to return 
regularly to the U.S. base in Kings Bay, Georgia, for it. <coughs> I do try to lean away if I have to cough, <laughs> but it comes across like I'm putting it right at the microphone, but okay. So, St. Kings Bay, Georgia is where you're looking for, for the maintenance and replacement of the missiles. The UK pays an annual contribution of 12 million towards the cost of this base. While the Vanguard class submarines are made in the UK at the Barrows in Furnace shipyard in Cumbria, many aspects of the design are based on US nuclear submarines. Additionally, many of the system's components are bought from the United States. The gas reservoirs of the warheads are likely produced in the U.S. and are certainly filled with tritium there. The body shell which contains the warhead is purchased from the U.S. and the guidance system used by the Trident system is designed and made by Charles Stark Draper Laboratories also in the U.S. The site at which the UK's nuclear warheads are made. The atomic weapons establishment at Aldermaston is part managed by Lockheed Martin, a U.S. corporation. The missiles were tested under U.S. supervision at Cape Canaveral off the coast of Florida. It emerged in January 2017 that the U.S. government may even have asked the UK government to cover up a failed nuclear test denied British elected representatives the chance to scrutinize the viability of the nuclear weapon system. As well as being technically dependent on the U.S., Trident is also far from being politically independent. It has been assigned to the U.S.-dominated NATO since the 1960s, meaning Trident could be used against a country attacking another NATO member state. Since NATO has not adopted a no first use policy, it could also be used preemptively against another country that was perceived as a threat. Furthermore, it is inconceivable that the UK would ever use Trident without the prior approval of the United States. The Defense Select Committee recently concluded, in fact, that only the only way that Britain is ever likely to use Trident is to give legitimacy to a U.S. nuclear attack by participating in it. Not only this, but in a crisis, the very, crisis, the very existence of the U.K. Trident system might make it difficult for a UK Prime Minister to refuse a request by the US President to participate in the attack. Trident is reliant on the US. Without approval from Washington, the UK could not use its nuclear weapons system. And that gets, is how it all works. And that tells me that we have our three connection once again, right? Well, I don't know what to tell you. The U.S., the U.K., they're gunning for the rest of the world, if you ask me. And what are they doing? They're stealing, robbing, and murdering along the way. Because, after all, 
they are nothing and absolutely nothing but gypsies, tramps, and thieves.
Now listen very carefully because I have been saying these nuclear places are not producing electricity and now it appears to me that they're starting to act like they produce a lot of electricity. But it appears to me that the people in India are kind of wise to what's going on. So let's just listen to this clip from their own words questioning why all this money going into nuclear with such little results. From the nuclear fuels complex at Hyderabad, the fuel rods are sent off to India's eight reactors. The government claim their record has been successful and safe. The Department of Atomic Energy, the DAE, has successfully pursued a program of indigenous development of nuclear power technology. The design of Indian nuclear power plants provides for not one, but multiple rings of safety, making their operation almost completely fail-safe. We do not have any reactor system which is totally safe. I have worked out that more than 200 serious nature accident or leaks have taken place in government of India's nuclear power stations. They have not admitted it. More than 3,000 workers have been exposed to high radiation. And more than 300 have been hospitalized. Now, this is the figure I have stated, and government of India has not denied it. The government have always insisted that precautions are strict. All workers are provided with film badges, which indicate if they are exposed to more radiation than is prescribed by international safety regulations. But at Tarapur, India's oldest reactor, that wasn't the case when it was visited by journalist Praful Bidwai. I saw, for instance, a number of workers queuing up um, in, you know, particularly um, high radiation zone um, during a shutdown. So you had these workers with with a dosimeter, pencil dosimeter, in one hand and a spanner in the other, who would go in, uh, just actually, you know, run into the thing, into the room, um, turn a nut couple of turns, look at the dosimeter, uh, <laughs> look of fright, and run out. Tarapur is also where India's growing inventory of nuclear waste is stored. This waste can be stored safely, posing no danger to life or environment. Uh, in Tarapur, there is, a, there is a waste management facility where radiation levels are really very, very high. Your entire annual dose would be exhausted you were to work for maybe just an hour. And you found that they didn't even bother to take elementary precautions in terms of providing protective clothing and gear and, or using lead screens, um, which would reduce radiation exposure very considerably. Tarapur has now entered the record books as one of the most radioactively contaminated reactors still operating anywhere in the world. India's second nuclear power plant was built to a Canadian design here at Rawat Bata in Rajasthan. Part of the issue with these plants, which you'll notice, is that because the time takes so long for them to construct, 
There's usually a whole bunch of contractors in between in these deals, right? Like one company may go out of business and then the next company takes over. And I can well imagine when you get into the billions of dollars in expenditures, the graft or the money stolen off of the top of these things has to be just incredibly large. Its operating record, more than 250 shutdowns due to leaks and emergencies. One of the two reactors was inoperable for over three years. Here too, the buildings are contaminated with radioactive tritium. And tritium concentrations tend there to be very, very high. I mean, I've seen rooms which have signs saying 300 MPCs. That means that the level of tritium inside those rooms, uh, this is part of the main reactor building, are 300 times the maximum permissible concentration. It is, it is extraordinary. I mean, you can't go into those uh, areas without wearing um, very heavy protective gear. The safety of the operating personnel is most important. In the heat of the summer months of Rajasthan, when the temperature is sort of 118 degrees, you're not going to wear plastic suits and um, plastic masks. You, know, you, just, you just boil uh, you know, inside suits. I found the attitude of the health physicists absolutely blase about this. I mean, they were just completely um, unconcerned about the movement of personnel in, in these very high-risk areas. Today, the Rajasthan reactors deliver only 40% of their promised power output. India's next two reactors at Kalpakam, south of Madras, were the first built without any foreign assistance. So how have they performed? We have discovered that Kalpakum project consumes more electricity than what it gives to the state grid. Did you hear what it said? He said this plant takes more electricity to run it than it gives to the state grid. I rest my case. Because it has worked only 38% since it has been commissioned. Whenever it is not operational, it consumes more electricity. And there are a number of instances where both the reactors were down. Whenever the reactor is down, you need electricity to maintain the reactor as well as that huge township which they have created for this reactor complex. Almost all reactors uh, have worked less than 50% installed capacity. And presence level the report is that all reactors have been officially derated. Its a contribution has been very, very meager, very small amount. A new fast breeder reactor has been inaugurated at Kalpaka Madras, making India the seventh country in the world to have one. The fast breeder was intended to be India's most prestigious nuclear energy project. Once thought to be the dream energy source, this advanced reactor is supposed to breed its own fuel, producing more plutonium than it consumes. Britain, America, France and Germany have all tried to operate fast breeders without success, but that hasn't deterred India. The day it went critical, it worked for two minutes and it generated electricity to light a 200 watt bulb. That's all. But that's all. It had one major accident.
fuel draws inside the core of the reactor got intertwined. Once it got intertwined, the entire thing becomes static. There is no precedence for such accidents anywhere else in the world. And whenever we have pointed out this fast breeder technology has not worked elsewhere in the world, the stock answer of the Indian establishment is that if it does not work with the West, it doesn't mean it cannot work with the East. India now plans to spend 150 million pounds on a second, bigger, fast breeder reactor. Critics say that the money would be better spent elsewhere. Atomic Energy Program takes 20 to 25 percent of our research fund. So research and development areas, 25 percent goes to atomic energy, while the health research in medical areas is less than 2 percent. Higher education receives less than 2 percent. Non-conventional sources of energy, renewable energy sources, gets less than 1 percent for research. We have very high um, the capacity of hydropower, but we are using less than 15% of our water energy. Then, as you know, we have enormous amount of sunshine. We are not using it, even 1% of it. Far from developing alternative energy, India is forging ahead with its three billion pound nuclear power program. Yet so far, it contributes only 2% of the country's electricity. Why then is India so committed to nuclear power? A poor country, which is not producing the electricity, and yet is spending 20% of its research efforts, must have some ulterior motive. And it does not permit an open debate. It does not allow scientists to speak up. It does not allow parliament to discuss then it means there is a hidden agenda for nuclear power. What do you think that agenda is? It's a madness to produce nuclear weapons, to have the plutonium. On the hundred. Yeah, well, see, everybody, the people that are suspicious of nuclear now are thinking it's to make weapons, right? Well. I think we've jumped ahead of ourselves because A, we didn't need electricity, go watch my show about that, and B, they're likely not making weapons because those nuclear plants are, in fact, weapons themselves, correct? I don't think I have looked at this from a million different directions, but here's what they are. They are truly monsters, monsters walking around in expensive suits, Italians, Mafia, the people who will take out children to make a profit. Monsters, monsters, monsters. Let's do a little monster mash. Jolt from 
my electro. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin baggers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It got on in a flash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. Now the monster man, and it's a graveyard smash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool. Drax a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what he said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can monster mash. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now.